God the Son coming into the world is the central fact of the entire history of the world. I get that from Herman Bovink, who said Christ, the incarnate Word, is the central fact of the entire history of the world. Today, God willing, we will hear from God's Word how this central fact of the entire history of the world happened. One pastor put it this way, the virgin conception of the God-man, Jesus Christ, is the central truth of Christianity. On it, the whole structure of Christian theology and the gospel is built. If Jesus had a human father, he is just a man. If he was just a man, there is no gospel. There is no savior. There is no salvation. And in fact, the prophets and Jesus lied. But praise God, Jesus does not have a human father. He was conceived of the Holy Ghost. J.C. Ryle put it this way, speaking of these verses, we have in these verses the announcement of the most marvelous event that ever happened in this world. The incarnation and birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is a passage which we should always read with mingled wonder, love, and praise. So may we, during this time together, listen with wonder, love, and praise. Point number one, God. Luke 1.26, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God. Christmas is about God. This day and every day is about God. Why was the angel Gabriel sent to Mary? God. I heard a wonderful sermon recently by a pastor in Manchester, England, Oliver Almond Smith. He said this, the answer is God. Whatever the question, ultimately, in one way or another, and you may need to put a few words in between just to make clear how the answer is God, but ultimately the answer is God. When you say, why me? The answer is God. Because if you ask the question, why everything? The answer is God. Because if you ask the foundational, the most foundational question of all, why anything? The answer is God. So why Christmas? God. Why is Gabriel speaking to Mary in this passage? God. God sent the angel to speak a message from him to her. What are you here for this morning? God. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten. We need to bring that word back. Write that in your ESV. Begotten Son. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. The angel was sent by God. This text is about God. Point number two, the angel. Look at verse 26 again. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God. (laughs) Before I studied this this week, I, I, I'm, I'm thankful, thank you for the gift that you gave me to be your pastor. I love being a pastor. I love gorging myself with sermons to prepare for Sundays and reading commentaries and learning about God's Word. I'm thankful God made me a pastor. Amen. I didn't know this before this week. I didn't know. Maybe this shows my ignorance and how much I need to be in the pastorate so I learned the Bible. One of my former pastors says he puts weak men in the pastorate because they need to be in the Word of God more than other people. 
But when was the last time, I mean, in our text in Luke 1, he, Gabriel comes to Zechariah, but, but before Luke 1, when was the last time Gabriel appeared in the Bible? The only time Gabriel appeared in the Bible. Daniel. And he was talking about the same thing. Did you know that? I didn't know that. He's talking about the same thing. Talking about Messiah coming. Gabriel came to Daniel in Daniel 9, 20 through 26. While I was speaking and praying, Daniel says, confessing my sin and the sin of my people, Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God. While I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift Flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out and I have come to tell you, uh, tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. He's saying the same kind of things to Mary. You're highly favored. You're greatly loved. He's telling Daniel, you are great. Three times he tells Daniel, you are greatly loved. Beloved, if you're in Christ, God is saying to you this morning, you are greatly loved. Yeah, Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity. To bring in everlasting righteousness. To seal both vision and prophet and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one. A prince. There shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and a moat and it in a troubled time. And after 62 weeks an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. Way back then, Gabriel comes talking about an anointed one, a prince who would be cut off and have nothing to save His people and make atonement for sin. And here He is again coming in history in Luke 1 to Mary, to Zechariah and Mary, talking about an anointed one coming. The One. The Son of God. The Son of the Most High. The One who is holy. Gabriel, the angel, comes to Mary. Point three, the place. Look at verse 26 again. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Nazareth was a small, unknown town. It can't be found in the Old Testament. It's not found in any of the <coughs> commentaries on the Old Testament. You know, when people ask me where I'm from, I just don't say where I'm from because nobody's ever heard of it. So I always start with Charlotte. Have you heard of Charlotte? Most people have heard of Charlotte. And then I say, well, I'm in a little town an hour northwest of Charlotte called Conover, North Carolina. <laughs> Nazareth is like Conover. Nobody's ever heard of it. It's not mentioned in the Old Testament. There are wicked, godless atheists who even try to claim, well, it didn't, you know, didn't exist then, really. Because it's so unknown. One pastor says Nazareth was not on any of the major trade routes. All the important roads bypassed it. It was well off the beaten path, far from the important centers of Jewish culture and religion. Moreover, Galilee, where Nazareth was located, was known as Galilee of the Gentiles because of its proximity to Gentile regions. God's choice of Nazareth to be Jesus' birthplace reveals He is the Savior of the world, not the powerful and elite of one nation only but all those who are called, both Jews and Greeks. Beloved, this speaks to Christ's humility that He would be born in this no-name town. This small place. Not in Rome, not in the center of powers, not even in Jerusalem. But in this no-name town, Nazareth in Galilee. Remember Nathaniel's words in John 1, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I love Philip's response. Come and see. Whew, gives me chills. Come and see. 
And just you see, you see this man. There's no man like this man. You come and see what came out of Nazareth. In John 7, 41, 42, and 52, others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the Scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? Well, they don't even know, do they? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. <coughs> Matthew 2.23, we studied not long ago, and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. And no, no Old Testament prophecy says he shall be called a Nazarene, but the point is that he would be ridiculed. He would look, be looked down upon. He, he would be laughed at. And scorned because he was from Nazareth. D.A. Carson comments, he's not saying that a particular Old Testament prophet foretold the Messiah would live in Nazareth. He's saying that the Old Testament prophets foretold the Messiah would be despised. And you're from Nazareth. What good has come out of Nazareth? Beloved, remember Jesus was born in the place animals are kept. He was laid in the feeding trough of a cow or of a sheep. Immediately after his birth, men were trying to kill him as a baby or as a young man. He had to flee, <coughs> a young child. He had to flee from his home country in Egypt to live as an exile. And we, even when he came back home, he was forced to grow up in Nazareth to bear the hatred and ridicule of sinners. They even accused him of being born of sexual morality. He rode into Jerusalem on a borrowed donkey. He had no place to lay his head. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. And He did all of this for you and me. And for the glory of the Father. 2 Corinthians 8-9 For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor so that you by His poverty might become rich. Rich in spiritual blessing. I love the hymn, Thou who wast rich beyond all splendor, all for love's sake became us poor. Thrones for a manger did surrender, sapphire paved courts for stable floor. Thou who wast rich beyond all splendor, all for love's sake became us poor. Thou who art God beyond all praising, all for love's sake becamest man. Stooping so low, but sinners raising heavenwards by thine eternal plan. Thou who art God beyond all praising, all for love's sake becamest man. Thou who art love beyond all telling, Savior and King, we worship thee. Emmanuel, within us dwelling, make us what thou wouldst have us be. Thou who art love beyond all telling, Savior and King, we worship Thee. The place of Nazareth, Nazareth points us to the humiliation of our Lord that He did that. That we might be saved. Point four, the virgin. Look at verses 26 and 27. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city called Nazareth, named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Like Nazareth was unknown, Mary was a small, unknown person. We would probably never know Mary or anything about her if God hadn't visited her in this way. Lowly, humble, but faithful. She was a faithful woman who feared God. And she was a virgin. Virgin is mentioned in the text twice. In that one verse, did you notice that? Highlighting the fact that she had never known a man. And this is a miracle. <laughs> this is a miracle that a virgin would give birth. We read this last night. Matthew 1.23 Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
the virgin birth, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use the term virgin birth because that's what most people call it, but, but just know it's really technically the virgin conception. The birth was very normal and natural. Jesus was born in a, in a, in a normal, natural way. He, he came to, into the world through the birth canal of a woman. It, it was a normal, natural birth. It, the, the, the conception, the virgin conception is the miracle. And I'm going to call it the virgin birth. The virgin birth shows us that God always keeps all His promises. The virgin birth shows us that God is all-powerful and works miracles. We, we believe in a supernatural religion and a supernatural God. A God who does miracles. And He can still do miracles today. We believe the virgin birth, and the virgin birth reminds us that Jesus had to be truly man to obey the law of God perfectly and to die for our sins. Jesus truly is a man. He has Mary's DNA. He had Mary's physical characteristics. He's a man. And He had to be a man. He had to be a true man. Just like we are human beings, He was a true human being that he might, by the power of the Holy Spirit, obey God's law perfectly. He has done what we have not. (laughs) We needed someone to be a man to perfectly obey God by the power of the Holy Ghost and do everything the Father commanded perfectly, perpetually, in thought, mind, deed, word, feeling, action, everything. Jesus was absolutely sinless and obedient. And we need that for our salvation. So the virgin birth is absolutely necessary for Christianity. And he had to be a man, a true man, so he could die for our sins and bear the penalty for our sin. He had to bleed out until he was dead that we might be saved. The virgin birth reminds us that Jesus had to be truly God to bear the infinite punishment we deserve. Jesus on the cross had to bear the full weight of the wrath of God. It's not not just the physical pain in His human body that He felt and suffered. He he was suffering the reality of hell for you and me and all the elect that He would save. He bore the wrath of Almighty God. It, It was the will of the Lord to crush Him. He was stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. The wrath, curse, anger, fury... Fire of hell fell upon Jesus. I, I, I wanted to go out yesterday to ShopRite to do our little evangelism because it's Christmas Eve. I want to go out on Christmas Eve. And it was, what, 13 degrees or something? And uh, when I first came to this church, uh, Hal Hopkins, the interim pastor, he, he, he told me, now, Hal Hopkins is African American, and he said, he said, when you preach on hell... Tell them it's real cold because African Americans hate the cold. <laughs> so when I was out there yesterday and people weren't listening to me, scurrying inside to get inside and acting all cold, I just kept saying, hell's going to be colder than this. <laughs> you think this is cold? Hell is going to be colder than this. And you say, well, how can you say that, Pastor? Because Jesus says it's fire. Well, Jesus also says it's darkness. Yeah. There, there, there are multiple ways the Bible describes hell, and one of the ways is darkness and gnashing of teeth. Friend, when you feel pain, like yesterday out in the cold, you ought to think of hell. Because it's going to be that and worse forever and ever and ever. Hell's going to be colder than 13 degrees. I was watching a video of the coldest place in the world in Siberia, and it was, the little boy, he could go to school that day because it was only negative 40 degrees. When it's negative 55, school's closed. But negative 40, that's warm. We don't know cold. And, and we don't know hell. The Bible grasps at words to 
explain to us how bad the wrath of God will be, and that's what we deserve. Jesus bore that on the cross. He bore the wrath of God. He bore the hell of God, and He had to be God to do that in six hours so that you and I might never face that. Never face that. Oh, feel the warmth right now? It's because of God. It's because of God that you won't be out there. Jesus paid that for you, and He had to be God to, to pay that for you. The virgin birth reminds us that salvation is holy of the Lord. We, this is impossible for us. <laughs> the, 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 the virgin birth reminds us that salvation is holy of the Lord. We can't do this on our own. We need a miracle. We need a series of miracles. The miracle of the virgin birth, the miracle of, of Christ's death and resurrection, the miracle of regeneration, the miracle of faith and repentance given to us. We can't do this on our own. The virgin birth reminds us that salvation is holy of the Lord. And Mary, Mary was God's chosen vessel through which Christ would be born to a virgin. This unknown woman and like Nazareth, this points us to the fact of the humiliation. Duncan comments, Kent Hughes says, Mary was a nobody from a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. Do you see the amazing, loving condescension of God in this? Think about it for a moment, parents. Parents out of love want the best for their children. They want to clothe their children in a way that the children won't be embarrassed. They want their children to go to the best schools. They want their children to be raised in a safe and secure and warm and loving environment. They want to give their children the best. Now I want you to pause and contemplate this, my friends. Your heavenly Father, for your salvation, gave your Savior less by way of earthly privileges than any of you have given to your children. You know how it sometimes says in the Scripture they saw Jesus and fell back? I mean, that's just a phrase that makes me fall back. I want you to pause and contemplate this, my friends. Your Heavenly Father, for your salvation, gave your Savior less by way of earthly privileges than any of you have given to your children. This is the humble condition into which the Lord Jesus Christ was born. I do not say this so that you will feel guilty because of the bounty that God has given you. We ought to give God praise. But I do say this so that you will appreciate the humiliation of the Lord Jesus Christ. From before His birth, it was appointed that He would be born to this obscure maiden from an obscure city in an obscure region into a relatively poor family for your salvation. Because of His amazing love. Because of His amazing, loving condescension in His redeeming work. Yes. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Amen. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah. Point five, the husband-to-be. Look at verses 26 and 27 again. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Mary was betrothed to Joseph and, and betrothal back then was, was much more serious. It was a much more uh, a serious and legal uh, commitment than even our engagement today. Uh, if you were betrothed, the only way you could get out of it was by death or divorce. It usually lasted about a year and, and the, 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 the young man was preparing a place for his bride and she was to prove her faithfulness to him. Uh, most people, most scholars believe Mary was probably a young teenager. Roman law said you had to be at least 10 years old to be married. Uh, uh, Jews, you know, it was about 12, 13, 14, young girls got married. And so Mary was probably a young teenager betrothed to Joseph. They were considered as husband and wife, though they did not live together and they did not uh, consummate the marriage, they did not sleep together. And Joseph, notice the text says, was of the house of David. Joseph was of the house of David. That's important. This means Jesus' legal earthly father was Joseph, and he was from the house 
of David. Jesus is the great, the greater son of David who would reign forever, prophesied about in 2 Samuel 7. 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 13. <coughs> we read this when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers. I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body. He's talking to David. And I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This is ultimately about Jesus. The greater son of David. And it's worthy of Songs and praise and bands. We have a band coming. I mean, Jesus is worthy for bands to be playing and praising that He is the Son of David. And we see that in, even in the husband-to-be here, Mary's betrothed Joseph. He was of the house of David. Sixth, we see the greeting. Look at verse 28. And He, Gabriel, came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Just a few corrections here at the beginning. This does not mean that Mary was sinless. So, so Roman Catholics, if you're Roman Catholic, welcome. They, they take this verse and they make it into a prayer to Mary. Hail Mary, full of grace. And, and they, they exalt Mary to a place that, that the Bible does not. And so we, we, I want to warn you about that, talk a little bit about that. The Immaculate Conception is false. The Immaculate Conception is a false teaching. The Immaculate Conception is not about Jesus. The Immaculate Conception is not the virgin birth. The Immaculate Conception is a false teaching of the Roman Catholic Church that Mary was conceived without sin. That is false. Mary was a sinner. <laughs> and that's why she says a little later in Luke 1.47, My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She was not full of grace in the way that Roman Catholics think she was full of grace, as if she didn't need grace, or that grace came from herself by the way, Acts 6, 8 says Stephen full of grace. This phrase in our uh, uh, verse is not the phrase God would use for full of grace. He says in Acts 6, 8, Stephen was full of grace. But even there, Stephen is a sinner in need of grace. If anybody's full of grace, it's because God has given them grace. Amen. So this does not mean that Mary was sinless. We do not pray to Mary. We, we do not need Mary as a mediator to go between us as if God the Father and God the Son are sort of angry and Mary is this nice one and she's the one that can take our prayers to Jesus. No, 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 no. We pray to God through Jesus. Amen. So a little correction there. But this text... Sometimes we Protestants, we, 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 we belittle Mary in reaction to Roman Catholics and we need to hear what this text has to say. She was a faithful believer in the Lord. She was a faithful believer in the Lord. The same word that, that's used in our text, old favored one, is used in Ephesians 1 verse 6. I'm going to read Ephesians 1, 5, and 6. He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will to the praise of His glorious grace which He has blessed. That's the word. Same word. He has blessed us in the Beloved. Mary is blessed. She is blessed by God. She is, she is highly favored. She is very highly favored. This is an amazing blessing on her life. And she says this in Luke 148, From now on, all generations will call me blessed. She is blessed. She is unbelievably blessed. Can you imagine this teenage girl, this young teenage girl being blessed with being chosen She's chosen to bear 
the Son of God. It don't get much better than that. It don't get any better than that. Or does it? Or does it? You know, she's blessed. Notice it says, greetings, whole favor, when the Lord is with you. Why is she blessed? She's blessed to bear the Christ child, but she's also blessed because the Lord is with her. The Lord is with her. If the Lord is with you, you are blessed. Jesus says we can all be even more blessed than Mary. Did you know that? Did you know that? That Jesus says you can be even more blessed than Mary. Luke 11, 27-28, same gospel. A woman cries out to Jesus, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But He said, He, Jesus said, Blessed rather are those who hear the Word of God and keep it. Yeah. Woo! Didn't know you were going to leave today more blessed than the Virgin Mary. She's not a virgin anymore. Blessed rather are those who hear the Word of God and keep it. Phil Riken comments on this as blessed as it was for Mary to nurse Jesus at her breast, it is even more blessed to hear and do the Word of God. As St. Augustine said, Mary was more blessed in accepting the faith of Christ than in conceiving the flesh of Christ. Mary was more blessed in accepting the faith of Christ than in conceiving the flesh of Christ. And all the high favor And grace that Mary had was a gift from God. Was a gift from God. Uh, If if we look at her her magnificent, the song, the praise that she sings later in Luke 1, it is so God-centered. Seven times, He has done this, He has done this, He has done this, He has done this. Seven times. Luke 1, 46-55, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is His name. And His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich He has sent empty away. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to His offspring forever. Mary is highly favored, and God has made her so. God has given her grace. God has done this for her, and she praises God. Point seven, the fear, very briefly. Look at verse 29. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. When angels appear to people in the Bible, those to whom they appear to get scared. They're not chubby little cheek cherubs playing harps. No, no, no. If an angel appeared right now, we would be on our face in fear. And Mary... I mean, we saw that Gabriel appeared to Zechariah. He was afraid and, 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 and he was a priest. This is a young girl. And she's afraid. She's troubled. She's perplexed. In the presence of this mighty angel who stands in the presence of God. But he comforts her and he gives her the annunciation. The annunciation. The announcement in verses 30 through 33. 
And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And so he begins with the assurance of God's favor in verse 30. Don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You found favor with God. Beloved, I want, I want to again make this point. Mary walked with God. Mary walked with God. She was faithful. It was by God's grace. It was a gift of God to her. But she was faithful. And we should see her as someone to follow as she follows Christ. We ought to want to be faithful like her. To fear God like her. To walk with God like her. To commune with God like her. To be humble like her. To be the humble slave of God like her. This is the same kind of language used of, of these great saints of old that God chose to do great things. Noah, Genesis 6, 8-9, through nine, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. He was a righteous man, a blameless man in his generation. Noah walked with God. Mary was a righteous woman. She was blameless. She walked with God. Job 1, 1, there were... <laughs> was a man in the name of us whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright. One who feared God and turned away from evil. Mary is in that line. Who feared God and turned away from evil. Who is blameless. And this ought to whet our appetites as Christians to be like her. To be blameless. To be righteous. To turn away from evil. To follow God. To walk with God in humility. This was Mary. Verse 31, she's told, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Jesus means the Lord saves. The Lord saves. And, and Brother Rob brought this out well. I think he got a hold of my sermon early or he's probably heard the same guy I heard that said this before me. But, but somebody said this. Jesus saves from the penalty, power, pleasures, pursuit, and presence of sin. Jesus saves us from the penalty of sin. He bore the wrath of God in our place that we might not bear that penalty. He saves us from hell. He took the hell that we deserve that we might not go to hell. He saves from the power of sin. Yeah. Romans 6, 2. How can we who died to sin still live in it? As the hymn says, He breaks the power of canceled sin. Yeah. If you come to Christ and believe in Him, He's going he's to change your desires so that you hate your sin. You can say no to sin and live a holy life. Not perfectly. We still sin. We still battle with it. But we now hate our sin. And we fight it. And we long to be, grow in holiness. Jesus saves us from the power of sin. We can say no to sin. Jesus saves us from the pursuit and pleasure of sin. Psalm 97.10 Oh, you who love the Lord, hate evil. Psalm 16.11 <laughs> In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. When, when, when Jesus saves us from our sins, He grants us new desires. And we, we, we hate sin. We hate what is evil. And we love God's commandments. And we love God. We delight in God Himself and yeah. want to be in His presence where, where we find fullness of joy. Yeah. Every time a preacher calls you to turn from sin and pursue holiness, you should never feel that as, oh, it's legalism. Oh, don't tell me to do anything or it's legalism. Just putting burdens on me. No, no, beloved. Anytime Jesus tells you to do something, it's because He wants you to be the happiest person in the world. Yeah. I, I, I tried to make this clear in that sermon on on. On, on going to church and why you should go to church. And I gave 50 million reasons about why you should go to church. I began that sermon with an illustration of Rose Sproul who thought she didn't like this, this what was it? I can't remember, ice cream or something. She didn't Apple think, she, what was it? Apple butter. Apple butter. And, and ooh, no, I don't want it. I don't want to taste that. No, no, no. But when she got a little hint of it, that, that, that's what it means for me to tell you to go to church. Yeah. That's what it means for me to tell you to obey Jesus. You, you, it's your joy for your joy for your delight for your, oh, I can't get enough. When you read Jesus and he says things like this, woman, this little widow who, who gave away everything she had 
He's, he's, he's saying, do you really want to be happy? Because I told you it's better to give than to receive. Do you believe me? It's for your joy. For your joy, God tells you these things. It's not a burden. For those who are saved, you, you get that. You get that. It's for your joy. Because you have a new desire. And finally, Jesus will save us from the presence of sin. Revelation 21.4 He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Jesus saves. That's what His name means. Friend, have you come to Him for salvation? Is there anyone here today who has not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? I'm inviting you to come and trust in Jesus today and be saved. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. He's the only way to be saved. Buddha is dead. He cannot save you. Prophet Muhammad is dead. He cannot save you. All the false gods of Hinduism are stone and rock. They're dead. They cannot save you. Jesus rose from the dead. He can save you. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Him. Would you believe Him today? Would you trust Him? He saves. And the angel Gabriel told Mary, He will be great. Great in His person. Great in His person. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He's God. He's great in power. He's great in wisdom. He's great in grace. He's great in mercy. He's great in everything. He shall be great. Charles Spurgeon said, Is he not rightly called wonderful? Infinite and yet an infant. Eternal and yet born of a woman. Almighty and yet hanging on a woman's breast. Supporting the universe and yet needing to be carried in a mother's arms. King of angels and yet the reputed son of Joseph. Heir of all things and yet the carpenter's despised son. Wonderful art thou, O Jesus, and that shall be thy name forever. He is great. He is great. His work is great. He's great in His work. He's great in preaching. Nobody ever preached like He preached. He said He came to preach. He was healing everybody and doing all kinds of miracles. And He said, we got to go away because for this reason I came to preach. He came to preach. He was a great preacher. The greatest preacher who's ever lived. He did great miracles. He, he made people who couldn't walk, walk again. He, he, he cleansed lepers. He, he made blind people see. He made deaf people hear. He, he, he raised people from the dead. He had a great life. The greatest life it's ever been, in fact. He, he had a great death and atonement for sin. A great resurrection where He conquered sin, death, and hell. And He has a great rule. With all power and all authority in heaven and on earth. He's great in His love. No man ever loved like Jesus. It's a love that's so great, the Bible tells us it surpasses knowledge. That's why Paul prayed for the Christians in Ephesus that they might know the height and width and length and depth of the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That hymn, that old hymn captures the words, Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Vast, unmeasured, boundless, free, rolling as a mighty ocean in its fullness over me. Underneath me, all around me is the current of His love leading onward, leading homeward to Thy glorious rest above. The angel told her He will be called the Son of the Most High. Most High is another name for God. All over the Old Testament, God is called the Most High, the Highest One. There's nobody higher than God. And Jesus is the Son of the Most High, the Son of God. Gabriel says the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. Jesus, as I've already said, is the promised Messiah in David's line. He is the anointed one. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords who would sit on David's throne forever. And that's what the angel tells her. He will reign over the house of Jacob. Another way of saying Israel forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Jesus is the King of Israel. He will reign forever and ever. He's King of kings and Lord of lords. And so Gabriel tells Mary all of this. And then point eight, she asks a question. Verse 34, and Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And I wonder if you've wondered. Now, Zechariah asked a question and he got hammered. 
<laughs> God struck him with, with, with being mute. God has spoken and he didn't believe God's word, so you won't speak until my word comes to pass and then you'll speak. <coughs> and Mary asked a question, what's the difference? Because he didn't ask in faith and she did. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For those who come to God must believe that He exists. And He's the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Do you come to God as a rewarder? So Zechariah didn't ask in faith. She, she simply wants to know how this will happen. It's not a question of unbelief, but of how. How's this going to happen? I've never known a man, she says. In the text, it says, I'm a virgin. Literally, it says, I've never known a man. Virgin, same thing. But, but she gets a little explicit there. I've never known a man. How's this going to happen? Miracles didn't just happen willy-nilly all the time like these false prophets on TV say they happen all the time. Oh, miracles come to the church of miracles. They just happen every day. Whatever, dude. Why are you wearing glasses? Why don't you heal your eyesight? Bill Johnson. These people knew miracles don't happen every day. They're special. There's something special about the virgin birth. So she's asking how. I mean, this, this, is, this, 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 this it don't work this way. How, how's this going to happen? The answer in verses 35 through 37 and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And, and, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And so the angel tells her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The Holy Spirit's going to do this. Again, Muslims wrongly think that we Christians believe God had sex with Mary. That is not what we believe. That did not happen. The Holy Spirit does not have a body. So, so there's no sexual intercourse taking place. The, the Spirit of God conceives in her. Now, I don't know how that happens. I don't know all the ins and outs of that. The Bible doesn't get into the details. But it says the Holy Spirit overshadowed her and caused her to conceive in her womb from one of her eggs... The Son of God. The God-man. God the Son took on human flesh. The Word became flesh. And dwelt among us. The Holy Spirit did this. Let's give the Holy Spirit His due here. The Holy Spirit's always involved in what God's doing. Phil Riken says this language echoes the Old Testament and reminds us that the Holy Spirit has been actively involved in everything that God has ever done. The Spirit was present at creation when He overshadowed the waters of the earth, Genesis 1-2. The Spirit was there at the Exodus when He overshadowed the tabernacle in a cloud of glory, Exodus 40. Later, the Spirit would <coughs> overshadow Jesus, anointing Him for His earthly ministry. It was by the Spirit that Jesus made atonement for our sins and er uh, uh, offered Himself up through the eternal Spirit, Hebrews 9-14. And by the Spirit that He was raised from the dead, Romans 1-4. Then Jesus sent the Spirit to overshadow the church, Acts 1.8. Yeah. It is by the power of His presence that we serve Christ today. Yeah. The Holy Spirit has been overshadowing God's people from the very beginning, working with the Father and the Son for our salvation. But no work of the Spirit is more miraculous than the work He did in Mary's womb, enabling the Virgin to give birth to the Son of God. The Holy Spirit did this. And because the Holy Spirit did this, the child will be called Holy, the Son of God. Amen. Beloved, you have children, you have babies, and they're cute and cuddly, but they ain't holy. Hey. They ain't holy. As Bodie Buckham says, God made them small so they won't kill you. I mean, I, I just think that's such a good illustration. If they, were, if they came out the womb 6'5 and 250 pounds and they wanted their diaper changed now, they wanted food now, they wanted what they wanted now, and they were 6'5 and 250, what's that little baby that cringes up like that going to do to his mama? God made them small so they won't kill you. Vipers in a diaper. We all come out vipers in a diaper. Sinners. Little sinners. 
They may be cute and cuddly, but they ain't holy. This boy, he was holy. He was holy. Jesus is holy. He is, was, always is sinless. He is perfect. He is set apart. There is no one like Him. As S.M. Lockridge said, He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's Son. He's a center Savior. He's a centerpiece of civilization. He stands alone in Himself. He's august. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. And on and on and on. He's holy. He's holy. He had to be the sinless spotless lamb of God and be holy so that he could take away our sins he died for sin but not for his own sin he died for our sin Jesus is God's son she's told we we said in the Athanasian Creed the son was neither made nor created he was begotten from the father alone he is God from the essence of the father begotten before time and he is human from the essence of his mother born in time completely God, completely human with a rational soul and a human flesh equal to the Father as regards to divinity less than the Father as regards humanity this is the incarnation one writer says the incarnation the infleshing of God took all that properly belongs to our humanity and delivered it back to us redeemed All of our inclinations and appetites and capacities and yearnings are purified and gathered up and glorified by Christ. He did not come to thin out human life. He came to set it free. All the dancing and feasting and processing and singing and building and sculpting and baking and merrymaking that belong to us and that were stolen away into the service of false gods are returned to us in the gospel. And the angel goes on to... To, to further convince Mary, Elizabeth, who is old and was barren, has also conceived a son. Listen, Mary. Elizabeth, who's old and barren, she has conceived a son. God has already done one miracle in her. God can do something even greater in you. <coughs> and then he says these most glorious words. Nothing will be impossible with God. Beloved, take this home with you today. Your God, the God whom you serve, is the God of the virgin birth. And nothing shall be impossible for your God. I I don't know what you came here with. What depression, what sadness, what loneliness, what pain, what you've been praying for for years and it's never happened. What impossibility is in your life right now that you think will never change. Your God is the God of the virgin birth. Your God is the God of the impossible. So whatever you think is impossible, your God can do. Your God can do. God is the God of the virgin birth. He's the God of all creation. He's the God of the exodus. He's the God of the slaughter of 185,000 Assyrians in one night. He's the God of the resurrection. He's the God of the virgin birth. He's the God of the impossible. Listen to what Phil Riken says about this. Mary's relative Elizabeth, barren old Elizabeth, was six months pregnant. The angel told Mary this to prove the power of God, which he declared in a memorable phrase, nothing will be impossible with God. God was able to bring a child from a barren womb. If he was able to do this, then by the power of his Holy Spirit, he could just as well make a virgin conceive and bear a son. And if God could perform the miracle of virgin birth, then He is quite capable of handling the difficulties of our daily lives. Nothing is impossible with God. This is a verse to live by. As J.C. Ryle has said, a hearty reception of this great principle is of immense importance to our own inward peace. Is there anything in your life that seems impossible? Perhaps it seems impossible for your great sin to be forgiven. Especially after all the times you have tried not to do it again but failed. Perhaps it seems impossible for your family to be restored after all the heartbreak and for joy to come again. Maybe it seems impossible for your physical and financial needs to be met or for your work, your studies, or your ministry to succeed. It may seem impossible to endure the suffering that has come into your life or for someone you love to come to Christ. But the Bible says nothing 
will be impossible with God. He is the God of the virgin birth. There is no sin He cannot forgive. No relationship He cannot reconcile. No problem He cannot resolve. No need He cannot meet. No ministry He cannot bless. No grief He cannot comfort. No life He cannot reclaim. No sinner He cannot save. The God of the virgin birth is the God who makes all things possible. And finally, point 11, the acceptance. Look at verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Beloved, this is how faithful followers of the Lord respond. No matter the cost, no matter how hard this might be, whatever you say, Lord, whatever you want, Lord, I am your slave. I will follow you and trust you and obey you by your grace. This is how Abraham responded. Abraham, in Hebrews 11.8, we read, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive in his inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. He, he didn't know where he was going. He had no assurances. Remember when he offered up his son Isaac? <laughs> Whoo! That's some faith right there. And the Bible tells us he thought God would raise, God must be going to raise my son from the dead. <laughs> Mary stands in that line. She stands in the line of Isaiah. Here am I, send me. She stands in the line of Esther. If I perish, I perish. She stands in the line of Job. Though, I, though he slay me, I will hope in him. This is what believers do. R.T. France mentioned a woman like Mary. Gladys Aylward lived from 1902 to 1970. She was a woman who got herself to China after having been turned down by a missionary society. She was born in London to a working class family. Aylward worked as a maid studying on her own to prepare for overseas missionary service. Seeing her education as inadequate, the mission that she applied for rejected her, contending that she could not learn to speak Chinese. <laughs> she wasn't smart enough. And so she couldn't learn the language, so we're not going to send her. <coughs> Undeterred, Aylward spent her life savings to get to China, a journey filled with dangers, including a trip across Siberia. Aylward in time became a larger-than-life figure among the Chinese, advocating for prison reform, caring for and adopting orphans, and fighting against the terrible practice of foot binding, not to mention spreading the good news of the gospel. She also led almost 100 orphans across the mountains to safety when the Japanese invaded. Whatever you want, Lord. Whatever you want, God, I'll do it. That was Mary. Mary is someone to be imitated as she follows Christ. Phil Riken says this about Mary. This was a great honor. The greatest honor that any woman has ever been given. To this day, Mary is blessed as the mother of Jesus. But her service also led to great suffering. To accept the virgin birth, Mary had to be willing to give up almost everything she knew and loved. Have you thought about that? Have you thought about that? We, we, see, we look back on this and we know what happens. So it's easy for us. But you think about this. You think about being a teenage girl betrothed to a man and being told that you're now pregnant with the Son of God. I mean, fathers, think about this. Your teenage daughter comes home. Hey, Dad, I'm pregnant. <laughs> oh. Well, honey, I love you. We can work through this. Hey, Dad, there's more. I got pregnant. I, I didn't have sex with anybody. Honey, if, if you did something like this, we understand, we love you, but don't lie about it. Tell me the truth. I mean, that if you are pregnant, you had sex with somebody when you're not married. Tell me the truth. Don't lie to me. We can work through this if you don't lie to me. Dad, I'm telling you the truth. I, I'm, I, I, I got pregnant through the Holy Spirit of God and I, I'm going to bear the Son of God. 
Oh, well, that makes it all okay, honey. I mean, fathers, you think about that. You think about how you would respond to that. Whew. So what do you think she went through? What do you think she went through? Do you, she had to give up, be willing to give up almost everything. Her, Joseph, Joseph almost divorced her. So she's going to give up her man. And probably her only chance to ever get married. Because in that culture, you didn't do stuff like that and recover. You could have gotten killed in stone for doing stuff like that in that culture. Being gossiped about in a small village. I mean, just realize what she was saying here when she said, I'll be your slave, God. Whatever you say, I'll do. Give up everything for God. Everything. All your hopes and dreams. See, we know the rest of the story, so it's, it's easy for us. But try to put yourself in her shoes. She had to be willing to give up Joseph. This is Riken again. The man she was engaged to marry. How could he consent to take her as his wife if she was pregnant with a child that was not his own? She had to be willing to give up her reputation. Imagine the village gossip in a town like Nazareth where everyone would wonder who the father was. To be frank, there would always be some people who would call her son a child conceived of sexual immorality. Some might even say that she deserved to die because the law demanded the death penalty whenever a woman who was engaged was convicted of adultery. Deuteronomy 22, 23-24. There were other trials as well. There were all the physical pains that went with pregnancy and childbirth. There were also many hardships that Mary could not have predicted. The journey to Bethlehem, the exile in Egypt, the hatred of Herod. But the greatest suffering came when Jesus grew to be a man and began to fulfill His ministry. There was so much controversy surrounding Jesus that at one point the family tried to get Him to go to another part of the country or even to leave the ministry altogether. It was obvious that He was on a collision course with death. And at the very end, Mary had to endure His arrest his trial, his crucifixion, and his bloody burial. This is what it meant for Mary to submit to God's will for her life. When she said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She was consenting to a lifetime of suffering for the glory of God. This is what it means to be a Christian. Indeed, we might even say that Mary was the first Christian. For a Christian is simply a person who believes in Jesus and says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. This means trusting God for our relationships, romantic and otherwise, not trying to make them go the way we want them to go, but letting God lead. It means trusting God in our daily work, allowing Him to see to our success. It means trusting God for ministry, being content with whatever blessing He brings or doesn't bring, as long as we are faithful. It means trusting God for our families, asking Him to carry our burden for the people we love. It means trusting God with our troubles, the impossible things we have to face. And it means trusting God when we suffer reproach as Mary did. If we follow God, then people will be as opposed to us as they are to Him. But by faith, we will continue to follow Him. Are you willing to be God's servant? Then surrender to His will and submit to His word. Yeah. Give up control putting things into His hands rather than bending them to your own purpose. Live for God no matter what other people think and do this even if it means suffering for the cause of Christ. By the grace of God, through faith in Christ and by the work of the Holy Spirit, we are able to say what Mary said, have it your way, Lord, not mine. I am ready to do your will. And so Mary is a wonderful example for us to imitate as she imitates Christ. But beloved, you know Mary is not the greatest example of this. The son that she bore is our greatest example of this. Her son Jesus. Remember his prayer in Gethsemane. Not my will, but your will be done. Jesus went to the cross and died and rose again so that we might be forgiven for all of our failures to do God's will. For all of our failures to imitate Mary 
when we've gone our own way, Jesus died and rose again that we might be forgiven of all those sins and that we can start doing the will of God by His grace and for His glory. This is the gift of Christmas and this is the gift of the cross and resurrection. This is the gift of Jesus. Christ Jesus came through the incarnation. Mary humbly accepted the great annunciation. The virgin believed God's word declaration. She's the favored one who needed salvation. Through Jesus, her son, there's no condemnation. The Holy Spirit overshadowed to cause the formation of Christ in the womb of His own creation. He's great, the God-man who deserves adoration. He's the Son of the Most High and the Lord of every nation. He'll rule on the throne of David without cessation. His kingdom has no end for eternal duration. He's the Holy Son of God. We bow in prostration. For He died on that cross as our propitiation and rose from the dead for our justification. By faith alone, we are saved from damnation. His Spirit works in us for sanctification and He'll lead us home to glorification where Jesus Christ will be our preoccupation, infatuation, and holy fascination. For He causes intoxication more than anything else in all of creation. And Father, we pray that would be true for us, that we would hear from You this afternoon and morning about the great gift that You gave us in Christ and that You would cause Him to be our preoccupation and infatuation. That You would cause Him to be our holy fascination. That You would cause us to be intoxicated with His love. Always enraptured and intoxicated with His love. More than anything else, God. More than anything else. Father, we pray that if there's anyone here who has not come to know Christ, that today they would be born again. Father, we pray for all of Your people here today that we would follow Mary as she followed Christ. That we would be Your servants and say whatever You want, Lord, we will do. Let it be according to Your Word. And that we would know that's where our greatest joy and satisfaction is found. And so, Lord, help us to find our joy in Christ, we pray. For Jesus' sake, amen.